uh, today we're going to be uh, starting in Daniel chapter 2 again. Um, I, you all recognize, do you not, when we looked at the um, Daniel chapter 2 and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we list out uh, certain types of metal that represent uh, kingdoms that are going to follow uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, all of that's very interesting, and especially when you understand that those things were written before they came to pass. They're prophetic, obviously. But for our purposes, when you come down to the, um, the fifth empire, that is the uh, iron and clay mix in both the feet and the toes, you, now you realize we have not seen that kingdom uh, rule the earth yet, and that is the kingdom of the Antichrist. We were at the end of our time last week, so we didn't spend a lot of time on that. But that's what we're talking about. Um, you say, well, is there a revived Roman Empire? I don't think there's a revived Roman Empire. I think that's a, uh, just something that people have regurgitated so many times. They think that's what the Bible actually teaches. What you do have in the Fourth Empire is a division east and west. The Roman Empire was divided east and west. Constantinople in the east and Rome uh, in the West. Uh, but you'll notice nothing is said about the legs per se. What you have is the, uh, the, uh, uh, the thighs are iron, speaking of the brutality of the Roman Empire. And then as I make a comment in your notes, uh, another statement is made, um, uh, his will be iron and clay mixed. Well the his is a key word to understand in, in Daniel chapter 2. It helps you understand that you're now being set up for an entirely new empire. So well, wait a minute, you have iron and clay mixed, so it must be a revival of the old Roman Empire. That's the mistake that is made. Uh, if you read the passage clearly, uh, other than the, uh, the kingdom of Babylon, each new kingdom starts with his uh, arms were of silver, his belly um, uh, was of brass, his uh, thighs were of iron and his feet uh, were iron and clay mixed. Well the word his here, his then, is designated uh, another kingdom. And so it is not a revival of the Roman Empire, it's just it, all it's saying is that the last kingdom will be composed of clay and iron. They will mix themselves with the seed of men. That's talking about people diversity, people groups. It will still be east and west and, uh, and that, uh, uh, that fifth empire will be composed or headed by ten kings. That's what the ten toes represent. And there's iron and clay mix. It simply means uh, that they will try to mix people groups together to strive to have global unity. They fail at that. And so uh, the Antichrist comes along and imposes an iron hand. That's why the iron is used once again. It's the strongest of all metals. And that occurs naturally and that's what the Bible is saying is that there's going to be an effort to unite the world uh, in one final system if you will. They fail at that and the ten toes give their power over to one individual. We know that to be in later passages as the Antichrist and then he rules the world with an iron hand. We know that from, uh, from our understanding of the book of Revelation. So it's not saying there's a revived Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman Empire does not exist. Uh, however, it does say that, uh, uh, that in the days of these ten kings, um, uh, that that's when Jesus is going to come. We're going to look at that today. And so 
uh, in the days of these kings. Well, what are these kings? Well, it's in your notes. You can look at that. But we're talking about uh, five western kings and five eastern kings that organized the globe. And everybody will fall under the leadership of one of those ten toes. It's not saying a revived Roman Empire. If you read closely, it's saying in the days of these kings. But it's telling us these kings are coming, um, um, I think, from east and west and from what the Roman Empire used to call dioceses. Now we understand that term today in Catholic terms, but diocese is simply a way that the Romans had to organize the empire. And certain countries fell together in certain dioceses. And so you had uh, the Grecian diocese, you had uh, uh, Syria, you had uh, uh, Spain, Hispania, uh, you had uh, Gaul, France, you had Britannia. Those were all segments of the Roman Empire. They were called dioceses. And when the Catholic Church takes over that empire, per se, uh, they continue to use the term diocese and still to this very day. And so the Bible seems to say th there are ten kings that are going to come into existence. And in the days of these ten kings is when Jesus is going to set up his earthly kingdom. All right. So that's an important thing, but we're not, we're not there yet. We're going to be studying that subject uh, in the years to come. Um, we'll touch base with it still this winter. Uh, and then we will dedicate probably an entire winter on just that subject uh, alone. So uh, you can't go through prophecy without touching base with certain little touch points as you go through prophecy. Uh, what we're looking at uh, right now in this section is uh, the history of the kingdoms as God establishes them in the book of Daniel. And of course that last great kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. That is the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand year reign of Christ. And so uh, once uh, uh, these ten kings turn over their authority and power to the Antichrist, the Antichrist is eventually destroyed. He would be the sixth kingdom, by the way. Uh, you get that from the book of Revelation, how the book of Revelation describes that. So the book of Daniel describes five kingdoms. If you add the millennial reign of Christ, you are saying six, but technically it is the seventh because of the actions of the Antichrist. So we're going to be looking at the millennial uh, kingdom at this point in Daniel chapter 2. And uh, because we, it's not until we get in later chapters in Daniel does he in great detail uh, go into the subject of the Antichrist. We're being set up in chapter 2, basically. We're being set up historically in chapter 2. But true to form, God wants us to understand that everything that we're going to read about in the book of Revelation or Daniel or other passages of minor prophets, God always ultimately gets the victory. And that's why you see in the book of Daniel that at this point he'll jump over the kingdom of the Antichrist. He's going to deal with that in just a few chapters as God reveals it to him. But, but we're being set up. We're, we're simply building the, uh, the ground floor. Everything superstructure will go up from here. And, and, but God wants us to know early in this understanding of prophecy in the book of Daniel that God is going to have the victory ultimately. In, and we see that in the millennial reign of Christ. So let's read about it in Daniel. We probably touched bases with it a little bit. I've given you some dating uh, that should help you a little bit. Uh, Daniel is not the oldest of the prophets dealing with this subject. Uh, Isaiah would be. 
and, uh, and Micah, who would be a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, but when we look at these individuals, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Daniel, they would be contemporaries and um, uh, writing about the same time. And so we have duplicity, but we have subject matter that reinforces the understanding that there's going to be a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, for those of you who are visiting here today, uh, we're, we're looking at prophecy to begin with uh, just during the winter months, but we're looking at prophecy from a Jewish perspective. We've already dealt with the subject of the resurrection. The Jew understands that ultimately there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and we shall all stand before uh, that judgment. Now that's in the Jewish mind. We understand there's some variables involved in that, but from uh, the writings of Job and David in the book of Psalms, uh, the Jewish people understood that ultimately they would all be raised from the dead and they would rule, they would inherit the earth and rule the world. And that their Messiah would come back to this earth and establish his kingdom. Well, once Jesus came on the scene and people began to murmur that he has to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, even Jesus would use terms like that, um, uh, they expected him to establish his kingdom and exalt them as rulers in that kingdom. And of course, part and parcel of that would be to remove uh, the influence of the Roman Empire and get rid of them, so forth and so The whole system would collapse and Christ would set up his kingdom. Well, when Jesus didn't do that, uh, they begin to think, well, he's a blasphemer. He's not God at all. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ. And it's not so much that they didn't believe that, that God would not manifest himself in this form. Uh, I suppose they, they would grapple with that. But, but they understood that when the Messiah came, he would establish a millennial kingdom. That comes from Daniel chapter 2 and the book of Isaiah and some of the minor prophet writings. So listen, they only, they only know two things. Uh, I should say three. Uh, obviously, the book of Isaiah and many other passages that we have looked at uh, promote the fact that, uh, that, that the Savior would come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is, God, want, God is the Redeemer of mankind. Uh, we see that in the book of Job, way back yonder. God is the Redeemer of mankind. Uh, and the Jews completely lost sight of that because they, they, like a lot of people today, they looked at themselves, well, we don't need saving. So when God talks about the, being the Redeemer, He must be talking about when we're being held captive or when we're being uh, threatened by enemies like Babylon or Assyria. When we're being threatened by these people, God is our Redeemer. He will uh, bring salvation and we'll be saved from that dilemma. Uh, but ultimately, I, I believe this would be correct. Ultimately, the Jew, by and large, did not believe he needed redemption. He did not believe he needed to be saved from anything uh, because he was the chosen people of God and, and that meant the Gentiles were dogs. If anyone needs saving, it's those dogs. It's the Gentiles. And so the Jew grappled with this kind of stuff. And, and it's like when you read the Old Testament, it's like they completely ignored um, Isaiah 53 and other passages uh, where God speaks about redemption and the Messiah and the Christ, who He is and what He will do. And, and so if you remove that out of the context, if you remove that subject, because they never got that. Uh, not, some did, but most did not. Uh, and it was because of the teachers that they had. That, that brings up a very important point. Be careful who you listen to. Amen. And Jesus put it this way, uh, uh, no man is greater than his master. Well, then be careful who you listen to because you'll never be greater than that doughhead. 
I'm not talking about me. Uh, uh, but, but you understand that if, if you follow the teachings of someone that acts like he knows something when he knows nothing, um, and, and thinks he's a teacher of the law, but he doesn't even understand the law, then you will never uh, be better than your teacher. You'll never rise higher than that one that teaches you. And um, so some of you will leave the class by next week, I'm sure, with that, that statement. And so, uh, and, and so the Jew made the mistake of listening to ignorant men and because they presented themselves as intellectual and educated and, and got it all together, the result is they followed them down the primrose path of complete failure. And there were things that they should have understood. They were easy. It's like you and I living today in this generation where, where we believe that when a man is saved, he's saved eternally. Uh, that the price has been paid. It is an eternal price. And we are secure in Christ, not because of us or because of our merit, but because of the merit that is found in Christ. We become the righteousness of God. And God does not go back on what He gives. And, and we, but we live in a time when there are many Christians who believe, yeah, but you could commit murder. I always interested me when they make that statement, they never continue it. Yeah, but you could commit murder. Is there another part to this sentence I should be waiting for? Uh, in other words, what they want to imply is that you certainly would lose your salvation then. But they don't willing to say that. They just throw out a half a statement, let it dangle out there and see if you'll take the hook and, and run. And uh, um, I, I think if a fish is strong enough, he can grab the hook hook and jerk the guy into the pond but uh, that's just me uh, and, and so uh, the, the Jew understood for sure they understood there was going to be a resurrection but if they approach that subject believing they don't need redemption that, the, that ultimately it's the Gentiles will be judged but when I show up God's going to go well done thou good and faithful servant <laughs> come on in and, and that's what God's going to do to all Jews and so they believed there was nothing to worry about. And you went to a paradise in the heart of the earth and hung out for a few thousand years. But ultimately, you're going to be raised from the dead. None of that is true, by the way. Uh, but they believed it. And, 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 and even evangelicals and Catholics today believe such nonsense because the Jews taught it. Uh, if you do a study of the Bible, you'll never find anything about paradise uh, as a holding pin in the heart of the earth. It's an assumption that's made, and then people go to the Bible and look for verses that will prove the point. I'm just telling you, it's not in Scripture. That was a historical thing dreamed up uh, by the Jew in their traditions that I believe Jesus in part was saying, referring to when he said, uh, you've exalted the traditions men to the doctrine of God. There are doctrines and beliefs that the Jews believe that just have no scriptural support. And yet if you go to a Catholic site and look, uh, uh, look up uh, the word purgatory, or if you go to an evangelical Christian and, and look up the word paradise or hell, they'll go into this great elaborate scheme, uh, scheme about how this place existed and blah, 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 blah. Evangelicals generally say, but, but Jesus took it back to heaven when he took captivity captive. Not uh, completely ignoring that that's not how the word captivity captive is ever used in the Bible. And, and so, um, anyway, I, I don't mean to get in that. But the, the, the Jewish mind then believes uh, uh, that there's going to be a judgment, that, but it won't include them. It's more of a stepping stone to go on into the kingdom and inherit the earth. 
Well, the second thing that is taught is that there's going to be a millennial reign. Well, they relish that idea too. You see the close connection to, to a, a judgment day, a resurrection. And, and so they looked at the millennial reign of Christ as the Messiah would come. They believed He would come. They still believe it today. But when He comes, it'll be to set up His earthly kingdom and rule the world. And the Jews will help Him do it. You see, and, and of course we don't understand the Bible to mean that and so we, we approach this subject and teach it. The average Jew simply knows that there's a millennial reign or that there is a uh, Savior coming to rule the world. They don't know where it's found in the Bible generally. They would not know how to explain it to you. The average Jew just does not know those things. He simply does what uh, they did in the Old Testament. They listen to their leaders and hear that once in a while so they know there's a judgment. They, they know there's a, 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 a thousand year reign but it, uh, it basically would end there. All right? And uh, so they're just waiting because they're Jews. They have no worry about any of those things. Just going to uh, uh, go right into that. So let's look at some things in the Scripture today. Daniel chapter th uh, 2 and verse 34. Uh, the angel speaking, and, uh, or excuse me, Daniel speaking, and we read this. Thou sawest till uh, that a stone was cut out without hands, uh, which smote the image upon his feet that were iron and clay. Of course, we know the iron and clay is what we referred to as that fifth empire. All right, uh, the sixth would be the empire of the Antichrist, but they're congealed together. Uh, you can conflate them because the ten toes give their power over, and and the 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 kingdom of the Antichrist in Daniel chapter two at least is never described as one more empire. And so we believe that the feet and the toes are that fifth empire, and it's only until you get when you get to the book of Revelation do you discover that it's actually a separate empire from Revelation's viewpoint. But from Daniel, it's the feet uh, are are led by the ten toes. The ten toes yield their power to the Antichrist. That is maybe one of the ten toes, but probably is a separate individual. Uh, the Bible even gives us an indication what country he comes from, and uh, we'll get to that one of these days. All right. So, uh, but the very fact that the image destroys the iron and clay means that this happens in the last days. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we've passed all the other prophecies. And they've all come through to the letter of the law, if you will. So here we are living our day. We're waiting for the establishment of the fifth kingdom. No, it's not Donald Trump. It'll be more organized than that. Uh, uh, and then, excuse me, I shouldn't. But, but, uh, uh, but uh, this, uh, this establishment of the kingdom of Christ will happen in the latter days during the time of this fifth empire, if you will. Verse 35 goes on. Uh, then was the iron and clay, the brass, silver, gold, broken to pieces. Now remember, I said to you last week, this is in your notes. The emphasis should never be placed on the identity of the kingdom. The reason God uses gold, silver, brass, iron, iron and clay mix is He's establishing the character of these kingdoms, not the identity. Uh, and so uh, when we talk about Babylon, we're talking about gold. That's nobility. When we talk about silver uh, or Medo-Persia, we're talking about uh, honor. They, they did honorable things. When you talk about the Greeks, I use the word similis. They look like a kingdom, really not one. Um, and, and then when you come to uh, the, the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of the empire of Rome, it, iron is used. And so it's the character of those kingdoms. So if you understand that, it's not the identity that we're concerned about. It's the 
the material of which they're made, which designates their character. Now I don't get hung up on a revived Roman Empire. Now I understand what God is telling me is the last empire that rules the world will be diverse. It'll not have the unity that maybe you had in the Roman Empire, but you will have the brutality of that empire. It's the character, not the identity. That's a mistake that evangelicals have made for years is they emphasize who rather than what. Okay, it's very important if you're going to understand prophecy, especially as you move into Revelation, you've got to understand that concept. You mess up there, you mess up from that point on. All right, and so uh, then was the iron and the clay and brass, silver, gold broken to pieces together. In other words, all earthly human kingdoms are now destroyed, okay? It's the end of them, all right? Uh, like the chaff of summer and the threshing floors. And the wind carried them away and there was no place found for them. So there'll never be another time when there'll be an earthly kingdom like this. Uh, that smote the image became the sea. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. Anytime you see the phrase great mountain in the Bible, generally it's a reference to a kingdom. All right? You'll need to know that when you get to the book of Revelation, by the way. So it's a reference to a great kingdom. Became a great mountain. The kingdom of Christ becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. All right? Now, go on to verse 44. In the days of these kings, in the days of these kings, that is the ten toes, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom uh, which shall never be destroyed. Okay, So not only is this a thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a forever kingdom. This is not going to end. I think sometimes we give the impression uh, to folks that uh, once the thousand years is up, the kingdom is over. That's not the case. It continues forever. Why? Because Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the one that we focus on. Uh, but it is a thousand year reign as far as um, uh, the kingdoms of this world. And uh, once we enter into what we would refer to as eternity, uh, that kingdom just uh, transitions into an eternal kingdom. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Um, which shall never be destroyed, verse 44, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. In other words, there'll never be a man that arises on the scene that establishes a kingdom like uh, uh, the Caesars or Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander the Great, Darius the Mede, Artaxerxes. There'll never again be an individual that comes to such prominence and power that he rules the world ever again. This kingdom will never be given over to other people. All right? and, uh, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. That's the second time that's stated. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest the stone was cut out uh, of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, uh, the silver and the gold. Uh, by the way, uh, the order of things is different now. Did you catch that? Uh, it's, and if you've read the notes already, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and, and, and the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver and the gold. And so the clay should not be where it's at. You understand? The clay should not be there. Now, why do you make an emphasis on that? Well, because in a previous verse, um, I'm trying to see where it is necessarily, but in a previous verse, the order is what it should be. Gold, brass, or bra uh, silver, gold, silver, brass, iron, iron and clay mix. Well, now in verse 45, it's, it's, it's changed. Now, whenever you see a change like that, you say, well, somebody made a mistake. Well, there's never any mistakes in the Bible. 
Understand? God is sending you a stealthy message. What is the stealthy message? The message is don't worry about who these kingdoms are. It's not about, it's not about Babylon. It's not about the Medes and the Persians. It's not about Alexander the Great and, and the Grecian Empire. It's not about uh, Rome or revived Roman Empire. It's not about identifying what country we're talking about. You'll know the country. Listen, you'll know the kingdom by its character. So God stresses the character because he says, when you see the brutality that, that comes upon the world, then you'll know this has to be that fifth or that fourth empire. See, that, so that's how you have to think about this subject. You have to emphasize what God emphasized. The very fact that he switches orders uh, of, of listing these kingdoms tells you that he's not interested that you get Medo-Persia follows Babylon, uh, the Greeks follow the Medo-Persians, and Rome followed uh, the Greeks. He's not, he's not trying to get you to focus on that, although that's how everybody in prophecy, that's what the mistake they make. They, they focus on Babylon, and the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and boy, those Romans. And then the last one is the, a revived Roman Empire. That's the mistake that they made. They're emphasizing identity rather than character. God, listen, would you agree with me? Character is more important in God's mind than identity. You understand? You're going to be, you're going to be judged someday. Uh, uh, let's say the world. The world will be judged someday, not because their last name was Trump, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, not because their last name is Netanyahu, whatever, how do you ever say that? Uh, it, it's, it's not about your identity, it's about your character. Martin Luther had it right when he said, it's, uh, we judge man uh, by the character, the content of his heart. Now he's often misquoted, it's not character, but he says content of the heart, but that's what he's talking about, the character of the heart. That's what the, the Bible actually does teach that, all right? And, and so uh, uh, the fact that the order is changed in verse 45 compared to elsewhere tells me that God is telling us don't emphasize the identity, emphasize the character. You'll identify the kingdom by its, uh, by its character. So, in other words, we'll identify the fifth empire by its character. You won't, it'll be a mistake to say, well, it's a revived Roman Empire. No. <laughs> Listen. It's the character of that fifth empire. It's going to be mixed. It will not have unity. It will be global, and it will be cruel and vicious and brutal, like Rome was. But it's not Rome. It's a separate, independent system uh, that is, by the way, almost 2,000 years now has passed. And so for those still looking for a revived Roman empire, you should be getting tired by now. All right, so... Uh, um, and of course, I'm just in the, we're on the bottom floor, the bottom rung. And I'm saying something, you say, well, I've never heard that before. Well, I'm sorry, but you just need to study your Bible more. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But that's why we teach a class like this, uh, to help people get their mind around, because there's so much, many mistakes in this subject matter. All right, so, uh, and so uh, the pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, silver, and gold, and the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof. All right, three things very quickly. Number one. This, the kingdom that is represented by the great mountain is a divine kingdom. How do we know that? It was cut out without hands. Okay? Man did not establish this kingdom. All right? So we know it's a divine kingdom. That's stealthy language saying God is going to do this. Number two, it's a final and forever kingdom. 
verse 44. It's a final and forever kingdom. Uh, since it's the last kingdom, that is the millennial reign of Christ, since it's the last historical kingdom on the earth, you understand what I mean by that? Historical kingdom on the earth, and since it goes on forever, it is a final, the last one, and it's going to continue forever. Okay? Thirdly, the third thing that we read in these passages is that it is a global kingdom, verse 35. All right? And so you go back and look at that and, and uh, read the statements that are made there and you realize we're talking about a, a global king, kingdom in that it will fill the whole earth. Okay? So Daniel is the first, he is not the first one to introduce this concept of a millennial reign. There are hints to it elsewhere but Daniel gives us quite a bit of detail, all right? So we're going to go back earlier than this. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead. I'm sort of <laughs> jumping ahead here. Go to Revelation. Let's go way ahead. Go to Revelation, and let's, let's read the end result from a New Testament perspective, and then we'll come back and we'll work the Old Testament again. Once again, we're doing this for the benefit uh, of understanding how the Jewish mind works and why the Jew believed things that he believed and why he was taught false things. Now, our object here is not to say that prophecy, uh, the Jew that is, is the end all of prophecy, that it starts and begins, that he's the end game. We understand that the Jew plays very significantly in prophecy. But what I'm trying to approach prophecy from this winter is to help you see that, that from a Jewish mind, what they were taught, why they were taught it, and how it came up short. So why they were so messed up when Jesus came on the scene, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, and gave them great detail that they should have been, oh, this is easy stuff. Yeah, this is easy stuff. It went right over their head, like it goes over most heads of Christians today, because we're not prepared in the Old Testament. But there are certain principles you have to understand from an Old Testament or Jewish perspective if you're going to understand the new, all right? And that's what we're trying to do for you, all right? So, uh, but we're going to uh, jump ahead to Revelation chapter 20 and beginning at verse 1 in that chapter. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit a great and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, uh, Satan, and I would add smutty face, and bound him a thousand years. Now, obviously, this is at the end of that seven-year period of time, the tribulation, all right? And, um, uh, and so uh, he's bound for a thousand years. By the way, uh, there's a reason, maybe you're beginning to understand, why I say get yourself a prophecy Bible, a Bible that no other marks are ever made in. It can be a cheap one, it can be a leather one, it can be paperback. But get yourself a Bible. I like blue because it reminds me, oh, that's my prophecy Bible. And, and, and use that Bible to make all your markings in. That way, anytime you pick up this Bible, it's already marked. All right? And you've made little comments and you have little arrows that say, okay, go to this next passage. Don't rely on those little things in the middle of your Bible page. Uh, those things a lot of times are just bogus. But, but, um, um, but anyway, that gives you a Bible that's filled with nothing but prophecy. And you'll never come a, a, a read of the book of the Bible and say, why is that note in there? You'll know it has something to do with prophecy. And so it's, it's a good way to approach prophecy. Okay, that was free. Um, and, and so uh, we come back then. I, in the process of giving you something free, I jumped. Revelation chapter 20. Get back there. And so we go on in verse uh, 
a three. Okay, so we know it's a thousand years. Whatever's happening here is, is the initiation of a thousand year period. Verse two, verse three. And, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Uh, that could be taken a couple of different ways. And shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should, uh, should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. So the enemy of the kingdoms of earth and kings are, kingdoms are nothing more than the rallying point of a people group. Would you agree with that? It's simply where certain people are gathered together under uh, or with a league to unite under an individual or individuals. This would imply that all such structures are satanic. That all such structures ultimately become satanic, not necessarily in origin because I believe God does originate some of these things. But because systems always spiral down in decay, spiritual decay, in their character, then, then Satan is behind that. And so uh, the one who deceived these nations that perhaps were lifted up by God, we believe Babylon, that took place with Babylon. I believe the United States of America was such a nation as this. Uh, but listen, ultimately Satan draws people away from the one who is their source. And that's what he's saying here. But that's not going to happen uh, ever again. Uh, to see the nations no more, till the thousand year be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Now who are these souls? These are souls that were beheaded during the great tribulation all right remember a couple weeks ago i said to you there seems to be a second we could even say third portion of the first resurrection jesus being the first fruit the rapture being the second this is the third what is it it's a rapture of those who were beheaded during the tribul or at the uh, during the tribulation and both the ones who were righteous and the unrighteous I believe will be resurrected at this time. Some to govern with Christ for a thousand years and some to everlasting shame and contempt. According to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel said at, the, at this time there's going to be a resurrection. Some will go to uh, 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 right, everlasting righteousness. Some are going to go to shame and contempt. All right. So, but he, but he, he doesn't say all face that. He says many will. So the many designates a certain segment of the general population from Adam forward. I believe the general population stands at the great white throne. All right, other than the rapture and the beam of sea. But here's another segment. That is people who died during the tribulation will be resurrected. Now why would they be resurrected without facing the final great white throne judgment? Because their judgment was sealed when they took the mark of the beast. There's no, no judgment is required at this point uh, because taking the mark of the beast, according to the book of Revelation, damns you for an eternity. There's no reason to even judge you. In the same vein, in the same way, if you refused the mark of the beast and were beheaded, you were resurrected to reign with Christ. There's no further judgment necessary. That's a, it's a done deal. Just like putting your faith in Christ uh, gives you eternal life and the rapture uh, takes you off of this earth before that day of great wrath. 
And so I'm putting some things together and you say, well, I don't disagree with that. That's right. You, you can do that. I'm just saying consider what I'm saying. And this verse is saying that. All right. Uh, let me start up in the middle of verse 4 again. Uh, and I saw the souls of them were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had uh, received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Well, that's not resurrection. I don't know what you call it. Right? Okay. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So there's a resurrection at the end of the tribulation that's included in what we refer to in the Bible as the first resurrection. Jesus being the first fruit, the rapture being the second, and this is the third portion of it. Now it's finished. How do we know? Well, look at verse 6. Blessed and, and holy is that um, uh, hath part, is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. In other words, there's no reason to judge him at the great white throne. Why? He settled it back here when he refused to take the mark. Okay? You don't have to judge this man's works. He proved it with by giving his life. He was beheaded. All right? So uh, I believe it, it removes the necessity of judgment in the same way that in the rapture we are removed from the judgment of God other than for our reward. And that may be the case with these two. I'm not sure. Uh, but at this point, uh, there's no such thing as the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So from Revelation chapter 20, jumping ahead, we are confirming that this is an earthly kingdom, that it runs for a thousand years and then transitions into an eternal forever kingdom. All right, uh, But there's some details that are very interesting. But what we just read in Revelation chapter 20 confirms what we read in Daniel chapter uh, 2 stating that there would be a mini resurrection uh, um, and they will reign with Christ a thousand years is what Revelation chapter 20. That's why we jump ahead to look at that to confirm what Daniel taught. Now, I've got a couple more minutes, so let's, let's do this now. Let's go back to the oldest prophet and go to the book of Isaiah. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, and I want you in chapter 2, the very beginning of Isaiah. Isaiah was the gentleman prophet, if you will, and um, respected in his day and since. Revelation chapter, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 2, and beginning at verse 2. All right. In fact, let's just jump back up to verse 1, and we'll start there, okay? This is what Isaiah says. You'll note that Isaiah is on the scene about a hundred years before Daniel. So this is the first introduction to the concept of a millennial reign. This is it, all right? The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it, and it shall come to pass in the last days, all right? So in the days of what kingdom? Well, the last days begins with a kingdom we referred to as the fifth kingdom, not the days of the Antichrist, but the fifth kingdom. That's where the last days begin. And so if you ever see in your lifetime, or you young people here today, if you ever see the globe uh, uh, organized in a global system divided east and west, that is eastern nations and western nations all working together, you are in that time period we're referring to as the fifth kingdom, the fifth empire. 
and that will quickly turn and yield its uh, authority over to one man, the Antichrist, who will rule the world with an iron hand. All right? Uh, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, what did I say the mountain represents? A kingdom. All right? The kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Uh, what is the top of the mountains? We're talking about um, snow-covered mountains, or we're talking about um, Mount Nemo, or uh, so what's the highest mountain um, in the world? Uh, who? What do you say? Himalayas. Him, not Himalayas. That the mountain, and Mount Everest. All right. So there you go. I'm sorry. Sometimes at my age you get a brain. I know everything, but it, it's just that sometimes you get a. Okay, and and so, uh, but but if you were in Israel, if you went to Israel. You would hear them constantly talking about the, the, the mountain of Zion. You'd be talking about Jerusalem. Everybody always says, this, we go up to Jerusalem next year. We go up to Jerusalem. Now, when you get to Jerusalem, it's just a, it'd be like going to Table Rock. But to get to the top of Table Rock, you don't jump out of an airplane. You go up to it. Amen? You go up. And, and that's how Jerusalem is always viewed in Scripture and Jews today. Uh, they say next year we'll go up to Jerusalem. We'll go up to Jerusalem. That's the same thing's being said here, uh, in the top of the mountains, and 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 uh, uh, and shall be exalted above the hills. Now he's either saying Jerusalem is the center of this, which I believe is part and parcel of this, but he's also saying it's the greatest of all kingdoms that have preceded it. And I think that's fair to say. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. So it's going to be a global system and other nations that are organized, because you'll still have organization among people on the planet during the thousand-year reign. Uh, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of, of, of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall we go forth, uh, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we're talking about the city of Jerusalem, that people will go up to Jerusalem, and someone's going to reign there. Okay, well, this is old hat for most of us, but, but this is a passage it comes from, verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall any shall they learn war anymore. So we're done with war, and, and, and Jesus will see to it that there's peace on earth. All right? Um, and I'm sorry, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are not going to achieve this. All right? This will be done only when Jesus comes to uh, his throne. And there will not be an eradication of the sin nature. There will be a rule with an iron hand. You do the deed, you're going to pay the price. Okay? And so we see that in the book of Isaiah. Now go to Isaiah 65. We'll do this and then we'll quit. Isaiah 65. Remembering Isaiah is the oldest book, the first introduction to this subject. Uh, is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 65. So we know there's a kingdom coming and uh, Jesus is going to rule from the city of Jerusalem during those days. Isaiah 65 verse 17. All right. For behold, I create a new heaven, or create new heavens and a new earth, 
and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. But ye shall be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejo- uh, create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people a joy. In other words, Jerusalem will become a blessing to the entire world. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard. Well, you can imagine if a Jew is reading this, he's a hot dog. He's gonna be a good time. All right. And, and uh, n- uh, nor the voice of crying. Verse 20. Um, there shall be no more thence. And in- now look at this. There shall be no more thence an infant of days. People make the mistake sometimes. They say, well, nobody dies during the millennium. No, it's just that they live a long time. All right? But they people still die. There shall no more thence an infant of days. And no baby will die in a matter of days. That's what it's saying. Okay? Nor an old man, that's me, and nor the old man have not, that has not fulfilled his days. Now, we don't know what that fulfilling is, but it's going to be a lot longer than 60, 70, 80 years. Okay? So no old man will die before his time. For the child should die at 100 years old. Well, if a child dies at 100, that means old guys are going to, you know, die at 100. Um, and, and die at 100 years old because if a child does that, so... I don't know if it's saying that for sure, but uh, the implication is old men are going to live a lot longer. Uh, but the sinner, being a hundred old, shall be accursed. So if a guy doesn't chooses not to serve Christ in the millennial reign, and he can, uh, he's going to be accursed. In other words, he's going to have a short life. All right, things will not go well for him. Verse twenty-one: And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. Uh, remember, under the curse, you didn't get that. You could plant but not eat. You could build but not live in. Uh, they shall not build another uh, uh, for another to inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth tro- uh, for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass... Uh, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And, and, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And the dust shall be the serpent's meat. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. So it's a mistake to believe there's no more death, but you will live a long and full life. And this is everybody on the earth, unless you live in sin, then you'll be accursed. 